Even before President-elect Donald Trump is sworn in, his nominee for attorney general will have a date before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator Jeff Sessions' confirmation hearing starting January 10th will be a magnet for progressive and conservative interest groups eager to influence the Senate confirmation process, and that's all with an eye towards an eventual Supreme Court pick. And while Sessions is likely to make it through, the events may preview how eager some Senate Republicans are to buck Trump's other cabinet picks, including ExxonMobil CEO Rex Tillerson for Secretary of State. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ legal affairs reporter Todd Ruger and Roll Call senior political reporter Alex Rorty. Todd, uh, so far there's been a lot of attention on Jeff Sessions' failed nomination to be a federal judge in 1986. Uh, Groups on both sides of the ideological divide are preparing to spend millions of dollars spinning differing accounts of his life, right? Uh, Yeah, so you've got uh, Jeff Sessions who's been a senator for 20 years. His colleagues know him really well, and he just turned in 150,000 pages of background with, uh, for Senate Judiciary Committee questionnaire, which is all of his speeches from the past, all of his awards from the past, significant legal matters he's handled. And Democrats have some serious concerns about his, mainly his, his history on civil rights. The, as, the, as the head of the Department of Justice, he would be doing civil rights enforcement, voting rights enforcement, uh, policing issues, and of course, immigration uh, enforcement is under the DOJ. And he, um, he, he basically, a, a lot of groups have some problems. So they, uh, last week, got this questionnaire and they started digging through it and digging through it and digging through it and finding out uh, he had forgotten to mention this. He didn't mention that. His, uh, his role in this case was actually a little less. And they put out a big blast uh, email to, pr- you know, press releases, posts online, tw- uh, posts on Twitter, getting the word out. Um, trying to say, you know, hold on, we need to push back this um, confirmation hearing, which is currently set for January 10th and 11th. (coughs) So they're saying we need to push back this confirmation hearing, which is January 10th or 11th, uh, 10th and 11th, or we need some more time to, 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 uh, more than two days to examine this long record. And on the other side, you've got uh, a group called the Judicial Crisis Network, which uh, is, has put together a video of Jeff Sessions and, and a web page called ConfirmedSessions.com, and, and they've listed his accomplishments on there, and they're, they're spending money to, to run this advertisement in certain markets. And it should be pointed out right now, this is the first of the confirmation hearings of a Trump nominee. Correct. Uh, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Charles Grassley is really pressing to get this one done, and he is not backing down on that January 10th, 11th date. And that would be about 30 days after uh, Jeff Sessions turns in this questionnaire, and, and, uh, and that includes the, the Christmas holidays. So. <laughs> with the filibuster rules allowing Sessions to be confirmed with a simple majority, 51 votes, is all this sound and fury going to change anything? Well, you, you, the thing is, with these confirmation battles, you never quite know what's going to turn up. Uh, you, you know, all you have to do is look back at Justice Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearings, and they went through, and then there was a leak to the media about an FBI investigate, uh, FBI interview with Anita Hill, and we all know what happened there. Huge events, um, but you know, Clarence Thomas eventually was confirmed anyway. Um, but with Jeff Sessions, there's been no word from any Republicans that they're opposed. Uh, to Sessions or, or going to vote against him. There have even been a couple Democrats that have said, you know, hey, you know, I, I think Trump gets his guy on this one. And with that, like you say, with that threshold, 
it might just be um, a lot of a lot of fury and a lot of fundraising. Yes. Uh, and, and other stuff. Can't overlook that. Uh, Sessions certainly isn't the wealthiest of uh, Donald Trump's cabinet picks so far. Uh, you were the first to report he may be taking steps to uh, still douse talk about potential conflicts of interest by selling some securities ahead of things. Ahead right. Of time. Yeah. A yeah. conflict of interest is, is um, going to be a huge thing that Democrats are looking at with all of Trump's nominees. Sessions as a net worth, uh, his personal net worth is about $5.4 million. He mostly has corporate or uh, municipal bonds, mutual funds. Mutual funds are generally okay because they're diversified enough. But he does have some funds uh, in the energy sector and tech sector that he's going to pla- – plans to divest because, you know, he could be overseeing investigations into mergers in those industries and stuff like that. So – it would be good for him to not have a, a, any monetary value on the line when he's making that decision. He also has these two corporate bonds in this uh, Brazilian oil company called Petrobras, um, and he's going to get, get rid of those. Petrobras has been embroiled in a, a big corruption scandal since 2014. It's, it's, a run, it's 54% owned by the Brazilian government, and, it, and this, there's this growing international scandal about bribery and the DOJ is reportedly investigating them. So there you have a pretty obvious conflict of interest if he's going to be called on to make a decision as to whether to, to charge Petrobras with any crimes or civilly file, file a lawsuit or demand a settlement. He, he can't be in a position where that might affect his bottom line. So he's going to divest those, those corporate bonds as well. One, one random fact of, of interest is another lawmaker who also had a, a stock in Petrobras was Alan Grayson. And it actually became a, a very small issue in, in his campaign. Um, but he, he did get some flack for that. So if you ever wondered where Donald Trump and Alan Grayson overlap. <laughs> it might be there. Area. Well, we definitely were wondering, um, you know, what, how do you get – how do you buy a Petrobras bond, uh, bond? Like where do you get that idea in the first place? And, and I mean, we, ha- we have no idea, but – uh, it's interesting that there's two lawmakers that did. <laughs> there you go. A- Alex, another interesting story, speaking of oil, surrounds Trump's uh, Secretary of State designate Rex Tillerson. and He has close business ties to Russia. That's not going over particularly well with some of the Russia hawks in the Republican Party. Can they risk open warfare over a nomination this early in Trump's game? Uh, the, the, I, I don't think there's a real answer to that right now. Um, I think the bigger question is, can they risk open warfare with Donald Trump over the course of the next two and four years? And this might be the opening salvo in that fight. And, and, and the situation is such that, look, it's no surprise to anyone that Donald Trump does not exactly hesitate to criticize members of his own party. Um, we saw this frequently uh, during the campaign. Uh, he would go after Paul Ryan. He would go after Kelly Ayotte or Jeff Flake. Um, criticize them for their criticism of him on a whole range of subjects. And, and the, the, the fear, I think, and some Republican uh, strategists have, have talked to me about this, that this is maybe their biggest fear of all in the coming two years, is Trump decides to make that the congressional GOP, uh, House or Senate or some combination of the two, decide to keep opposing Trump on any number of things. We're, we're talking about Tillerson now. It could be the stimulus money. Um, or infrastructure money, I should say, Um, or even uh, over legislation to change the safety net, to make adjustments to Medicare. Um, That if there are enough clashes, Donald Trump is going to make the congressional GOP an enemy. And in a inter-Republican fight um, uh, within the Republican Party, there's almost no question who will win that fight. 
it's going to be Donald Trump. He is the leader of the party. Uh, overwhelmingly, he's the one who just won 63 or 64 million votes nationally. Um, and that he could really fuel uh, some primary campaigns against Republicans, um, or even in a real worst case scenario, depress turnout in a general election situation um, and make it easier for Democrats to win some of these House and Senate races. Now, the benefit for the GOP is there are there are very few Republican senators who were actually up for re-election in 2018. Um, the ones to keep an eye on, uh, I just mentioned Jeff Flake, who's maybe the most vocal, consistent critic of Trump this whole time, and, and someone you would expect who would uh, signal some concern about Rex Tillerson. Um, well, in the immediate wake of, of his nomination, he didn't, actually. He mentioned, uh, that is, Senator Flake mentioned that Tillerson had been endorsed by uh, former Defense Secretary Robert Gates, um, Condoleezza Rice. Uh, and, and, you know, signaled an openness. And, and look, you, you, you never can tell between it's, – it's hard to parse sometimes the policy from the politics. But the politics for Jeff Flake is he has a, already a primary opponent in 2018 right. um, who's already talking about how he's not supportive enough of Donald Trump. And in the, in the world of speculation and rumor, there are other Republicans in Arizona who are said to be eyeing a, a campaign against Flake. Um, and, and, you know, so – the, the politics for him are, are very difficult, and he is just maybe a microcosm where a lot of the uh, congressional Republicans are right now. Yeah. Any other um, Republican Trump critics who face particularly tough fights in 2018, or has it not emerged yet? Uh, I, I think we're still waiting to see. Like I mentioned in the Senate, there really aren't that many other uh, – I mean, Bob Corker is up for re-election. He's been a Trump ally. Uh, Roger Wicker hasn't really said much of anything about – I mean, there just – there really aren't that many opportunities. Ted Cruz is one to watch in, mm -hmm. in Texas – um, and, you know, that's a primary that's going to get a lot of attention for a variety of reasons if, in fact, he does draw a serious primary challenge. Um, but, you know, Flake and, and Cruz, I think, are the two really to watch in the Senate. Yeah. For both of you, what's the outlook for timing of a Supreme Court nomination? And how much air could that suck out of the room when the GOP is going to be working on repealing Obamacare, infrastructure spending, as Alex just mentioned, and just getting other pieces of Trump's first 100 days agenda going? Well, I'll take that. I guess uh, the uh, uh, Republican transition team has signaled that it might be somewhere around January 20th, the inauguration, that one of these picks comes down. Now, who knows what's going on at the transition team? Uh, Donald Trump has said he's already narrowed his list of 21 potential picks down to three or four. Um, he's mentioned a couple by name. So you've got a couple front runners, but uh, they do have to do a lot of uh, due diligence and backgrounding and and that they're going to have a lot of strategies that when they want to insert a Supreme Court justice into the, the mix of all the raft of, of nominees going up there. And I know, though, that it's the Senate Judiciary Committee's number two priority. Number one is, is Jeff Sessions' uh, a attorney general confirmation. And number two, they're going to just be going at that Supreme Court nomination. I think really you're just looking at what's potentially a, a hectic, crazy January on Capitol Hill and in Washington generally, uh, not just the inauguration of Donald Trump, not just the nomination of a Supreme Court justice, uh, but the potential repeal of Obamacare. Um, and and if, if they're able to scrap together any kind of replace uh, mechanism, or at least start debating that um, in the coming months, uh, Ryan's previously laid out then a plan later on in the year, I think he mentioned April, where they start talking about tax reform, uh, which is a, the, the kind of overhaul that at least from a special interest point of view, uh, we'll, we'll get a, a ton of attention. Um, 
And so it, it's just, you know, I, I've, I've seen other reporters write about how, you know, if you're a Capitol Hill scribe, and I prepare to just not be able to do anything next year because <laughs> you're just going to be busy covering everything. And, it, and it's hard to, to tell what will break through. I mean, my gut, Todd, says that a Supreme Court fight, when you're talking about the balance of the Supreme Court, um, gets the most attention. That, that, that's the most central line, I think, to the culture war. Um, between blue America and red America, mm-hmm. um, but it's God, it's 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 hard to tell. It's gonna well, it's definitely gonna be a a big fight because uh, Democrats are not ready to forget Merrick Garland, mm-hmm. Obama's nominee for this spot, who languished for nine months. Um, this, that that uh, Senate Republicans held this seat open for that long to get the, their nominee. So both sides are gonna be absolutely ready to to get this uh, to get this person either through or to 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 not. And um, the one of the th- other things, the, the pe- some of the closest watchers will, of course, be the Supreme Court justices themselves, who are in the middle of a term that is slow. Um, they're not taking uh, a lot of the, the most challenging cases are taking patent cases, and they're, they're sort of trying to run down the clock. And, and depending on the timing of when Trump sends his nominee up there, when the confirmation hearings are, when this justice might be able to reach the bench, whether they'll whether that justice will be able to participate in any of the cases this year, how many cases they might rehear next term that starts in October, all of that, you know, they're they're just kind of sitting there waiting as well. Right. right. And I think with all this legislation and potentially the Supreme Court too, I mean, just thinking through it, if Donald Trump's nominee gets stymied even for a few months, how long is it going to take him to talk about eliminating the filibuster altogether, and not just the Supreme Court nominee? Um, but his legislative agenda, too. Um, I, I think that's just hovering over all of this, the idea that that could, uh, that, that could be eliminated. And the pressure that will come on Republican lawmakers like Mitch McConnell to eliminate it if Donald Trump starts talking that way. Yeah, the real, the institutionalist in Congress versus the Trump crowd. I don't think Trump crowd is much of an institutionalist. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of support there for, the, for that. Roll Call senior political reporter Alex Rorty, CQ legal affairs reporter Todd Ruger on the Supreme Court nomination, and other Trump cabinet nominations coming before the Senate. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all of our podcasts at rollcall.com forward slash podcasts. Have a good week.